everyone. Welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School of Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and pleased to welcome today a couple of new faces on the NSTA podcast, Tejas Sinha, Project Manager, and Caleb Lee, Analyst. They're both from the Rutgers Consulting Group, and that's a, an organization that NSTA had the pleasure of interfacing with this past spring semester. So, Tejas and Caleb, welcome to NSTA The Bus Stop. Thank Thanks you, Kurt. Very happy to be on here. Yeah, and before we get started, um, just want to uh, just talk about the engagement a little bit between NSTA and the Rutgers Consulting Group. And so we had worked over the course of a couple months on a project around the electrification of the school bus fleet across the country. And we held kind of weekly um you know, meetings with the consulting group in our own NSTA subcommittee. So, and the subcommittee included uh, uh, Alec Petrillo and myself, as well as Rachel Lee of STA and Sasha Petit of Betterfleet. So we appreciate their support in the project. And we're really pleased that we have you guys on the podcast to kind of talk about, you know, the findings of, you know, our research over the spring um, semester. So, uh, Tejas, I'm going to start with you. Um, can you talk to us and tell the listeners a little bit about the Rutgers Consulting Group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to reintroduce myself real quickly, my name is Tejas, and I'm a project manager at Rutgers Consulting Group. And essentially what RCD is, is a student-run organization at Rutgers University that offers pro bono consulting services to a variety of different organizations. So, for example, in the past, we've worked with large companies, you know, smaller startups, nonprofits, state governments, and associations like NSPA. And across all these engagements, our goal is always to work closely with our clients to build unique solutions for operational and strategic challenges. And also on the other end, providing a hands-on learning experience for students at the university. Yeah, and you know our engagement worked um, so well, and I'm interested in in hearing you know from from your perspective. But we'll start with uh, Caleb and talk about you know what role did you play um, in the organization, the Rutgers Consulting Group? Sure. Um, yeah. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, like to just I'll do a quick introduction myself. So I am my name is Caleb, a rising senior at Rutgers Business School, um, studying finance and supply chain. Um, so as an analyst in uh, RCB, we essentially work in a team of four to five members. It'd be around four analysts and obviously a product manager who would kind of oversee everything. Um, and as an analyst, you'd kind of be, you know, coming up with frameworks, uh, bouncing ideas off each other and doing a lot of external and internal research. There are a lot of different websites and sources, uh, World Resource Institute. And essentially, you just want to, you know, all this information, you want to convey it in a concise manner. So it's easy for everyone to digest and you want to make our, make sure everything's really organized. Um, so it's essentially as an analyst, you're almost like a research analyst uh, for this project, at least. If Tejas yeah, absolutely. Not his role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Pages from the project manager standpoint, I guess your role is uh, slightly different because you have to herd the cats a little bit. Yeah, no, exactly. As a project manager, it's a little different. My role is basically to work um, closely with the client at the beginning of the engagement to like understand and define the problem that they're facing. And then I lead the team of five analysts to go about solving that problem. So that involves more of, you know, like delegating tasks, structuring the tasks, um, and serving as the main point of contact with the client, and then helping with the research when needed. 
really like like Caleb mentioned, like the analysts are the ones that do a lot of the heavy lifting. And for this project, it was primarily research based. A lot of research in this project. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, it's interesting. While you know, we talk about the you know the project in its entirety. Um, I, I do want to focus a little bit about you know you guys because you're you're you know you're in essence the the project itself or a big piece of the project. Um, and, and Tejas, we'll start with you. I know you gave us a brief look into your background and what you're studying at Rutgers, but the, maybe you can give the listeners a little bit more in, in terms of, you know, what you've done, um, you know, previously and what you're looking to do in the future. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey. I'm from a town called Hopewell in Mercer County. And for college, I decided to stay in New Jersey and go to Rutgers, New Brunswick, which is the state university. And next year, I'll be starting my third year in college studying business analytics and economics. I've previously actually worked with electric school buses in the past. So I don't know how much listeners know about Rutgers University, but we have like a very big campus. It's very spread out. So like I'll be taking a bus to and from class every single day. Um, our fleet has over 600 um, vehicles at the university, like the buses, the mail vans, the police vehicles. So I actually worked on a project outside of RTG, but with the Rutgers Institutional Planning and Operations Division um, to test run their first ever electric vehicles on campus last semester. That involved a lot of data analysis um, and trying to determine where we should place the charging stations because that's like a big area that we have to focus on right now. We have a lot of different EVs, but not enough charging stations. Um, So I'm interested in exploring like their college, um, going looking at consulting, Hopefully, I could be a management consultant and work in the sustainability sector on projects like this with EV. Yeah, no, real good. And and to answer your one question about how much the listeners know about Rutgers, you know, as a Rutgers alum, as much as I can can tell them and as much as they can absorb. So I do, I do. <laughs> we do talk about Rutgers, and it's interesting because the uh, organization NSTA itself is kind of very Big Ten centric. You know, we have folks from. Mm-hmm you know, Michigan State, and we did the, uh, an engagement w- with them, but our, you know, our past presidents from, you know, Purdue, we have people from University of Michigan. So uh, there's always a lot of banter that goes on within the, the big, the big 10, um, especially if we're able to like beat um, Purdue, you know, like a couple years in a row, which is always good to have the, uh, you know, to have the bragging rights uh, there. But uh, yeah, to your point, uh, Caleb, that, you know, the, People may not realize this about Rutgers, but uh, the College Avenue, you know, campus is a very small part of it, and then it's spread across from New Brunswick into Piscataway. So yeah, it's a, a wide um, patch of uh, land that, that actually covers a lot of ground and goes over the Raritan, you know, river. But just to you know, give folks a little bit of understanding about what that geography looks like. So Caleb, how about you? What you know? What have you done previously? What are you looking to do in the future? Yeah, sure. So similar to Tejas, um, you know, I was also quite interested in consulting, but my background's um a little bit different. I think Tejas is in the School of Arts and Sciences and RBS. Myself, I'm just in RBS, the business school. Um, like I said, I'm double majoring in finance and supply chain, and then to my senior year. So I guess like as far as my professional experience. I had some uh, exposure to supply chain um, process management at Lockheed last summer. And then I went into a pharmaceutical company to do some sourcing. And then that ended. I'm back at Lockheed this summer again. 
I think um, using, like I said, consulting is definitely very unique in the fact that you get exposure to many different areas, many different industries, mm-hmm. uh, ones like electric school buses. Um, and I hope that, you know, having my supply chain background and, you know, leveraging some of my finance skills, maybe something along my supply chain finance, um, kind of mix that in with consulting, uh, you know, advisory. Um, I think that'd be a great uh, career path for me for now. Uh, yeah, so about it. Yeah, incredibly interesting. So, you know, with the engagement and then kind of tagging along with what Tay just said about, you know, the the analyst doing the heavy lifting, I'm going to start with you, you know, Caleb. Mm-hmm. You know, we we knew that the, the project related to, you know, the electrification of the school bus fleet. What were some of the challenges you faced during the engagement? Yeah, sure. Well, I'd say starting off because uh, many of the analysts we don't have much, we don't have a lot of background on the electric school bus industry. Uh, these private contractors, um, this educational area in general. So I think one of the main main challenges at the beginning uh, was just educating ourselves and just understanding how the industry kind of works, uh, the role of private contractors and NSP in general. Um, but I, you know, once we were kind of informed and knew a bit more about the industry, um, and we're actually doing the research itself. Uh, we came to realize that a lot of information, you know, across the 50 different states, the different regions, East Coast, West Coast, a lot of it were kind of scattered in the sense that, like, certain laws and mandates were, you know, would be adopted by certain states, but they only adopt certain areas of that mandate. Um, so, and kind of building off uh, that point, you know, figuring out if that mandate was applicable to just school buses or electric vehicles, right? Seeing, you know, once if it's applicable to school buses, you gotta know if it's applicable to private contractors or if it's just, um, you know, public school, uh, you know, public school uh, sector. So essentially there's just a lot of uh, initiatives um, and incentives and mandates that require us to dig into the details. Um, and eventually we came across this site, um, I think it's from the Department of Energy, the Department of Energy website, and that kind of served as like the main depository for a lot of our research. Yeah, and it's interesting, uh, Caleb, that, you know, you mentioned sometimes getting into the nitty gritty, uh, you know, of research and how you guys were actually a quick study on, you know, this kind of bifurcated system of private contractors versus in-district operators, where as most lay people and you included uh, prior to the engagement weren't, you know, really familiar with it. But, you know, once, you know, the subcommittee was able to explain it to you guys, then you were you guys were pretty quick study on it and got to the to the nitty gritty of the research. So, uh, Tejas, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce over to you and you know talk about what you know from your role as project manager. What challenges did you see? Yeah. So, just like to offer a brief background on the project before like diving into the challenges, there were essentially two main components to our project that we did. The first was state prioritization which was essentially examining the legal and regulatory environment of each state to determine which one um, private operators should target first in their transition to ESGs. This is like what Caleb mentioned, you know, different states have mandates. You know, by this year, 100% of vehicles should be electric, electric mandates specific to ESBs as well, so we found. And the second part was estimating the total cost of ownership of an ESB and the supporting infrastructure for an operator. Um, it's something that's very difficult to do, but we tried our best. Um, and in the first part, I guess the biggest problem, Caleb mentioned that the data was scattered. Not only was the data so scattered about all these different state initiatives, but also it was constantly changing, right? So we found like mm-hmm. different sources that tried to do the same thing 
we were doing like the national, I think, conference on state legislatures had a page about different laws and incentives surrounding ESDs for each state. But because like the environment is so rapidly changing, like a lot of that data we couldn't use anymore. So for example, like um, there's constantly states are considering passing mandates, adopting mandates. Some states like Maine, for example, at first it looked like they were maybe gonna adopt California's advanced cars to mandate um, to reach 100% electric um, equal sales by 2035. And then it turned out that that's not really the case. So just making sure we were on top of like everything going on at the moment, making sure we were always reevaluating the research that we have was a very big challenge. And then that also carried over to my role as a project manager. Um, you know, like sometimes um, the analysts would do research and then I'd have to, you know, tell them like, oh, we have to go back and kind of confirm this, make sure this information mm -hmm. is up to date, make sure it's accurate. Um, if there's new developments, like delegating then that new research that we have to do to the analysts. So that was like a big challenge on the state prioritization side. And then looking at TCO, um, one big thing that we always talked about was sort of these soft costs that are very hard to account for like in a calculation. So mm -hmm. when you look at TCO um, of an electric school bus, like the way we did it, we started off with like the estimated cost for like each aspect of the supporting infrastructure. Because this from the uh, World, Resources, World Resources Institute um, published a technical mm -hmm. note on TCO. So we use that as a base and then we incorporate our research into that with seeing how the grants could maybe potentially lower the cost. But stuff like um, the soft cost, like for example, when you move to ESBs, you have to include a space for charging stations in your depot. So you have to either decrease your fleet size or you have to expand you know, your depot size so you can hold more buses. Things like that are just gonna add on to the cost and we couldn't really figure out a way to account for that in our calculations. No, gotcha. Um, so, Tejas, I'm going to follow up with, with something. So in terms of, you know, the research, um, which was, you know, obviously a heavy, heavy um, part of the pro overall project, you know, what methodologies did you use to, to conduct your research? Yeah, so like Kayla mentioned, the Department of Energy had this great resource called the Alternative Fields Data Center. And part of that is a webpage for each state on the laws and incentives related to electric vehicles, like for that state. So like that became like their primary like source of information for a lot of the state electrification initiatives that we found, we did research on for prioritization. But then not only that, sometimes when, you, when you're looking through like databases, um, these databases aren't often the most updated. So you also have to, you know, like, it's like a simple Google search, like every now and then for each state, just to see like um, reading like state specific blogs um, for the latest news on whether the state is going to pass a certain mandate or not. So it was really a combination of like using these like set databases, but also doing our own research just in any way we could. And, and Caleb, um, you know, anything stand out on your end in terms of research? Yeah, um, kind of following up pages, uh, you know, definitely uh, referencing a lot of the websites, the government websites, like the Department of Energy um, helped us um, organize our research a bit more. But even then, there's still a lot of information, um, even though it's all, almost one website, a lot of different sections, um, a lot of different categories that we had to go through. 
So I think when we were um, trying to come up with our deliverable, the slides to uh, present to you guys and everyone else on the team, we wanted to really take a top-down approach. Um, so that way, when we were doing our research, uh, we weren't, you know, just get into the, the details and then trying to work our way back up. We'd probably take a look and section it into um, does this grant have to do with taxes? Does that have to do with utilities? Um, is it a state-level grant or is it a federal grant from like the EPA? Um, and from there, we kind of grouped it, um, uh, the states. We sectioned it into like high priority, uh, medium priority, and low priority. So um, definitely a lot of um, top-down approach when it comes to doing our research, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting um, with your answers to the you know previous two questions, it uh, you know spawned a thought in in my head, uh, and, and maybe moving forward for maybe not the next engagement, but perhaps the future engagement to to even do a a scorecard uh, for states as to how well they're doing with uh, electrification in general. So you know what, what's rolling around in in my head is you know if states are you know forcing mandates on operators you know what are they doing to help support operators getting to those you know benchmarks um so if they have a you know mandate of the electrification of the school bus fleet but they're not providing you know support through through grants or or planning or or even just um being able to interface with the department of energy or environmental protection you know, then to me, they would score a bit lower on, you know, the scorecard than other states who are, in essence, putting their money where their mouth is. Um, so, so as a concept, I'll start with you, Tages. What do you think of, of that, perhaps, for future engagement? Yeah, I think that's a great idea and like a natural extension of the research we did. So like, I was very surprised to find, too, that there were some states that had these like very ambitious mandates where they want 100% EVs by 2035, for example. Um, but then they don't have a lot of incentives to actually support that and make that a reality. And even the utility boards like within um, those states or the private utility companies, they don't have any programs specific to electric school buses. Just off the top of my head, a few states like that, um, New Mexico, like Virginia, I think Washington and Colorado, these were all states with you know, very ambitious mandates. Um, a lot of them um, had adopted the advanced clean cars to act in California. I think Colorado had its own like, even more ambitious mandate for EV sales. But yeah, that like there is a, definitely a disconnect like among a lot of states with the mandates and the amount of support they're giving. So that scorecard idea, um, I think, is like, very important. Great. Caleb, any thoughts on, on the scorecard? Yeah, no, I think that's um, I think that's a great idea. Um, I think we kind of for our first engagement here, Tay just kind of put something together um, to rank the states. But you know, obviously in the future we could probably make it uh, go more in depth with that. Right now, it serves almost as a preliminary to to what could come. Um, I think it's you know ranking these states um, and like Tay just did, where there's that disconnect between state efforts um, and the actual mandates for that state. Uh, if we're talking about the future, I'm just, you know, we're, I think we mentioned this earlier, but like all the school buses at Rutgers, I'm just thinking about all the potential partnerships that NSCA can get involved in, um, with other in institutions like, um, like Rutgers, of course, uh, just to help us get more exposure. So ultimately that can, you know, help, um, you know, the state 
uh, just realize that there's actually this initiative and this need to push for like the school buses, right? Maybe we could start on campus on college apps. Um, just, you know, right. thoughts that just went across my head. A lot of stuff we can yeah, no. potentially do to try to push it forward. Yeah, no, uh, exactly. Great uh, jumping off point. Uh, you know, so much great information on this podcast. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, I just want to ask you guys just from, you know, the point of view of, you know, coming into the project, Tejas, I think you mentioned that, and we'll start with you, that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of um, depth of knowledge about, you know, the student transportation system, you know, per se, other than folks, you know, on the consulting group team, you know, may have, uh, you know, ridden a bus to school. You guys learned so much about the um, tra- student transportation infrastructure and then and then flip that into some really tangible assets that the NSTA can use. Let me ask you this, Tejas, is a f- final question. A- anything that uh, comes top ahead as, as a surprise or something, you know, you weren't aware of, uh, interested to find out about student transportation? Yeah, so like you mentioned, like the whole structure of the industry, I didn't realize how much complexity there was with, you know, this like private and public distinction. I think I'm looking, I'm thinking back to, I think something you said during our last team meeting with um, all of us and Rachel and Sasha was that we came in and it was almost like we were speaking like a different language. You know, like mm-hmm. you guys were at all these like different terms and stuff and we were kind of confused because we didn't know all the complexity of the industry. But now like through our research, we've, um, learned it all, and I feel like I hope that we were able to contribute some good research to you. But yeah, that that whole like public-private distinction was impor- uh, very surprising. And then also moving into more specifically like the electrification aspect of it. Um, when you think about TCO, you think about you know like the vehicles, obviously how much that'll cost, um, and the charging stations, but also like the amount of power like on the power grid that's necessary to you know like have this charging like ability is like the costs for that are like much higher than I would have expected. I remember like Rachel was always talking about um you know, like how much of a challenge that is for STA um and other mm-hmm. operators. So that was definitely very surprising. Yeah, for sure. And all great points. Caleb, how about uh from your perspective? Yeah, um there's you know, I never expected the uh I'm gonna be so intertwined with each other. Right. Um, even though mm-hmm. NSTA were not like officially affiliated with the government and um, we're still like dependent on them um, in some mm-hmm. capacity uh, with all these initiatives and the support. Um, and I realized that it's, just, it's surprising that it's extremely hard. Well, I guess it's not surprising, but um, it's just really hard to organize that movement um, independently uh, when you're just working with fast contractors and not trying to branch out in a to get, you know, government support from these other institutions as well to get further explore, uh, exposure. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, also doing our research, we realized that a lot of school districts, um, in areas, uh, they're funded based off need-based rather than effort-based. Um, so that also came to surprise, but, um, I'm, I'm really excited to see how everything goes. Yeah, for sure. And before I forget, um, you know, Tages has talked about TCO or total cost of ownership a couple times. And, you know, we're going to, um, as an organization, release, you know, the findings of, of the, um, you know, research project. And just if folks 
uh, review the TCO and there's any thoughts or ideas or, you know, you know, react in anything that we missed, we definitely would welcome, you know, the feedback. I think it helps the whole engagement. Um, uh, and, and as we've talked about a, a number of different times on this specific podcast on how things are evolving, you know, so quickly. So I just put that out there for anybody who's going to look at our total cost of ownership model. You know, if you have any feedback for us, please get it to the NSTA office at info at yellowbuses.org. Um, so once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop this week, uh, Teja Sinha, project manager, Caleb Lee, analyst, Rutgers Consulting Group. Gentlemen, you did an outstanding job on our spring engagement. I'm really looking forward to a part two. I think we uh, learned so much together. And um, to Teja's point, you, the, the information that you gather for us is just going to be so important as we you know move forward. But uh, definitely looking forward to the stage two of the project. So thanks for coming on NSTA, the bus stop. Alrighty. Yeah, thank, thank you. you thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure this spring, not just for me and Caleb, from the rest of the analysts as well, Alex and Mary, we all had a blast.